If you would, turn in the Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you haven't been in your New Testament in a while, it may take you a little bit to find that. It's about right in the middle, 1 Thessalonians is. It's right before 2 Thessalonians, which is right before 1 and 2 Timothy. And it's right after Colossians. You get there to all of Paul's letters and you're looking at 1 Thessalonians. In your bulletin, it said that Brian yesterday was preaching tonight. He's going to preach on Romans 5, 8. But if you didn't know, Brian and them have had a very, very heavy week. Brian's sister had her baby. If you had not heard that, and there are some, uh, some issues and complications there that, her family's, that their family is really working on. When I talked to Brian this afternoon, he and Lizzie had the baby. The baby's just days old. And Brian and Lizzie had the baby this afternoon. Uh, and they're waiting on Brian's mom to come pick up the baby newborn and a uh, lot that their family is working through there. So Brian was not able to preach tonight and so I'm, I'm glad to step in. This is a passage I've been thinking about for quite some time, been looking at here more recently over the past month or so and really wanted to bring it to your attention. You know, everybody has a different upbringing and so when we talk about the way, the way things used to be, we need to be careful, right? It's really common these days to hear people say, the good old days or the way, the way things used to be. And when you say that, you're, you're mostly referring to what, the way it used to be for you, and there's no way you can totally or, or realistically understand what everybody uh, dealt with growing up. And we need to be careful of that. In my upbringing, I grew up in a neighborhood, typical suburbs of Charlotte, North Carolina. We did not live in the city limits of Charlotte, although I say that's where I'm from. We lived in the suburbs, and, and uh, I grew up in a neighborhood, and it was one of those things where all the kids in the neighborhood played outside all day long. I can't remember anything else other than that. I don't know if we were ever inside. I do remember that my dad could yell loud enough that no matter where we were in the neighborhood, if he said, Josh, as loud as he could, we came home, right? I remember waking up and going outside. I remember playing as late as we could until they called us in, and that's, uh, that, that's what I remember. And when you do that for so long, and you go to church together, and go to school together, and play on the ball teams together, and you do all that stuff together, then everybody just kind of grows together, right? I can remember neighborhood kids just coming straight in without knocking or ringing the doorbell. I can remember going to other people's house and coming straight in without knocking or ringing the doorbell. I can remember us spending the night at each other's house and, and all of those sorts of things. And I tell you that to get you thinking about, it was neat how all of those different families just kind of did life together, if that makes sense. Now, we were all quite a bit different. But that proximity and all of that time together created a, a comfort among each other. And yet, as we grew up, as close as we were then, we're really, really different as grown-ups. You remember my parents were here just a couple weeks ago? You remember that? And I, I told them to stand up on Sunday morning. You remember my parents were here? My best friend growing up, or one of them, my, one of my very, 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 very best friends growing up, his name was Adam. Great guy. We have got so many memories together. I mean, I could tell you a hundred different stories of things we did together. And we were sitting there talking, and I'm not, what, I'm not sure what brought it up, and my dad goes, man, he's a weirdo now. You, did you know that? I said, I think I know a little bit. I haven't talked to him in 20 years, you know, I don't, don't remember. My dad said, man, he doesn't cut his hair, he doesn't shave his face, he lives in Oregon, he, uh, 
Their, ki- their family is absolutely no technology. Their kids are not allowed to take any pictures. They're not allowed to, to be on the internet. They're, he was like, man, these, these, this guy's weird, you know, as my dad was describing him to me. And I got to really thinking about that because when we were kids, it was like we were exactly the same. We did everything together all day long. We ran together, played ball together, spent the night together. I mean, we were together nonstop. And one would think, how'd they turn out so different? And I want to remind you all that the Bible says, listen to me, that we are sinners, that we are all in the darkness, that we are all, be careful, not children of God. And so unless Christ comes into our lives, we will not know God. And it must be that understanding that informs child rearing, neighborhoods, communities, upbringings, relationships, and being a neighbor. It must be that. We must not be so foolish or so blinded or so much with the wool over our eyes that we think two boys or a family or a neighborhood or a group of kids that grew up together and they're all nice and cute and play ball together and go to school together and and, and all of that sort of thing, that that means that they're gonna turn out into fine adults much more that they will turn out into God-worshiping adults. It doesn't work that way. And it seems like too often we're kind of taken back when somebody turns out to be not a Christian. Where the good old neighborhood stuff is not what produces a Christian. Never has been. In 1 Thessalonians... Paul is speaking to this sort of understanding. Look with me at chapter four. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. Does everybody see that? I like it that Paul does that. He does that a few times, more and more. So what you're doing right now is what you're supposed to do. Now just keep doing it. Don't change, don't rock the boat. Get it out your mind to say, yeah, we used to, right? Churches are full of people who kind of boast about how they used to be in their Christian lives. Keep doing what is right. Keep doing what is faithful. Keep doing it. If it's all about this is what we used to do, then we've got it wrong. He says, keep doing it more and more. How we ought to walk to please God. That sounds good, doesn't it? You learned how to walk to please God, now keep doing it more and more. Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. I'm not preaching on that tonight, but learning how to control your own body for the glory of God is a huge subject, is it not? Verse five. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because of the Lord, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. All right, now look what he says next. Now, I I showed you that to show you that he's talking about living for Jesus. And you know that he is because he says walking in a way that pleases God. Right? You know that's what he's talking about. And you know that's what he's talking about, living for Jesus, because he then goes to sin in your life, even sexual sin in your life. So you know he's talking about living for Jesus, right? Yes. There's no doubt about it. He's talking about living for Jesus. Now look where he goes at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. It's interesting. Loving other people is not necessarily something that we need a lot of teaching on. We get it. We understand what it means to love each other. We understand what it means to love people. That's what he says here. Now, when he says that they've been taught by God to love one another, I think he has in mind here two aspects. One, God tells us to, and God tells us how to, and God tells us what it looks like, okay? Look there. Brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He tells us how to love people. We have many, many passages on that. You know, 1 John has all of this good stuff on love. You're familiar with it. John has all these passages on love. You're familiar with it. 1 Corinthians has all these passages on love. You're familiar with it, right? The Bible is full of God teaching us on love, right? Well, you think, well, maybe they didn't have those New Testament passages. Well, in the Old Testament, we got a lot of passages on love, right? Psalm Uh, The Psalms are full of love, particularly Psalm 119 talks a lot about what it means to be loving, what it means to be loving according to the word of God. Believers who know the word of God and have come to understand the gospel have a good understanding of what it means to be loved. God has taught us that. But here's the second way. God has shown us what it means to be loved in the way that he has loved us in the gospel. That Christ laid down his life for his enemies. That Christ, God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In that passage in Romans 5, it says, hey, people would scarcely die for a good person. That's rare. The idea that you would die for your enemies, for those who are cursing you to your face, spitting on you, spitting in your face, that you would offer up your life for them, that is amazing demonstration of love. And so believers are those who have a great understanding of love. And Paul writes here to the Thessalonians that they don't really need anybody to write to them about love. They've been taught by God to love one another. Verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So he knows that the Thessalonians have the reputation of being a loving people. Macedonia is the greater province of where this city Thessalonica is. You can look on your maps and you will, you will see that very thing. And he, his understanding, Paul's, um, the word that he receives about them is that they're loving people. And the word is that they're in, they're in Macedonia, you're, you're, you're loving people, right? 
I think, I think that's kind of becoming the case for, for our church here in Fairdale and in South Louisville, right? The word's out that we want to help people. We'll love. We'll do what we can, right? I mean, I try to tell y'all a lot of all the ways that we're loving on the people around us. Um, and there's a lot that you don't hear about, but we're doing a lot. We're doing a whole, whole lot of trying to love different places, all right? Just last week, Doug and I were down here at the hotel helping out some homeless people. Week before that, I was at Rutherford Elementary. We bought uniforms for their soccer team. Just this past week, we gave a gift to every single teacher at Fairdale High School and every single teacher at Fairdale Elementary School. You're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people. Every single Tuesday night for the last three months, people from our church are working the concession stand up at the Fairdale Youth League. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Last year, middle school called, needed help preparing a soccer field. We sent somebody from our church to go and get that soccer field ready. I mean, I could go on and on and on in the ways that our community knows that we're there for them. That's what we're here for. All right? And this is the idea with the Thessalonians that they're, being, that they're being that way. But now look what he says next. This is the part I wanted to get to. But, all right, so he says verses 9 and 10. You don't need anybody to write you about love. You are loving. God's taught you how to love. And that's what we're hearing about you all in Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. See that again? He already said that in verse two, didn't he? Do that more, verse one, do that more and more. Now here he again in verse 10 says, but do that more and more. One of the characteristics of us doing things is that we're not seeking a proper response to it. It's the overflow of what God has done to us. That's why we don't stop doing what we do. It's not, okay, I'll go over here and buy some gas. I'm going to watch you real closely to see how you are. I may not ever do that again. But rather, truly, frankly, what we are is that Christ Jesus has made such a difference in our lives that it is our desire to make a difference in other people's lives that they would come to know Christ Jesus making a difference in their lives. And you know that God, Christ Jesus, is not making a difference in our lives because of the way we're going to react back to that, right? He gives his grace freely to us. And so the message here is do this more and more. The brotherly love, the loving of people more and more. And then in verse 11, and this is the whole verse that I wanted us to get to, he describes it. Look what he says. If you've never heard this verse before, you need to. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Wow. If you don't read your whole Bible and all you read is the book of Acts, you hear about everybody looking out for everybody and everybody giving everything to everybody and doing that. Sounds a little bit different than this, doesn't it? We have that idea going on in the New Testament with the people of God. We're here to help each other in every way possible, and we will. But at the same time, we don't want to live dependent upon that. Notice his instruction here. Aspire to live quietly, drama-free. You ever been around somebody where you're like, man, it's always something with them. It's always something with them. You never talk to them and they're just like, yeah, I'm doing well. It's been a good day. How are you doing, right? 
Sometimes you ask people how they're doing and you're kind of hoping that, you know, they'll say back, well, I'm doing good. How are you doing? And sometimes you ask people how you're doing an hour later. You're like, man, I'm sorry I asked. Like Paul here says, literally, they should, they should be aspiring to live quietly, drama-free lives. You know, when I've preached, it's been a couple years, but when I preached a lot on, on being helpful, I talked about how every Christian wants to be helpful. I know that. But the only way that you can actually be helpful is if you've positioned your life to be helpful. I know a lot of people, we, I know a lot of people that are asking for help. And if you spend every single bit of energy, time, and money that you have, if all of your resources are spent on yourself, then when somebody calls for help and I say, hey, can you help? You're gonna have to say, nah, sorry, I can't help. Wish I could. Well, guess what? You're not living quietly, putting yourself in position to be that way. Paul says, aspire to live quietly. Drama-free life. And look what he says next, to mind your own affairs. I picked up our new pew Bible here, the CSB Christian Standard Bible, just to see what it says. You know what it says? Mind your own business. That's what it says. Mind your own business. We're not looking for drama. Every one of us have some people in our lives that when they get around you, they're uncomfortable because they think you're going to judge them, don't they? Yeah, they do. Hey, show them that you're not. We just read in 1 Corinthians 5 this week in our midweek Bible study that Paul says stop doing that. Stop acting judgmental to unbelievers. We don't care one bit. We ain't trying to judge them. God says he's the judge. We're concerned about our brothers and sisters walking in the faith, but if there's somebody around you that acts up or lashes out or cusses or quick-tempered or bad with their money or makes bad decisions or whatever, stop pointing the finger at them. What else do you expect? They don't know God. They've never read 1 Thessalonians to get this. Keep loving them. Mind your own business. You worry about the log that's in your eye, not the speck that's in theirs. This is what the Bible teaches. He literally says, mind your own affairs. This is the Christian teaching. This is the uh, First Thessalonians. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul. And to work with your hands. If you study Paul, you're gonna see a lot of this. Paul's gonna say, hey, you take care of your own business. Get you a job. Work hard. Do what you got to do. Later on, he would say, if you're not going to work, then you should not eat. Tell the people in the church that, right? Paul talks this way. And it's this idea of living in such a way that you're not hindering the gospel. It's this idea of living in such a way that you're not hindering the gospel. And here's what I mean. Because now look at verse 12, our last verse. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul understands that every single non Christian is looking at Christians to see if the gospel's true. Now, they may not know the gospel. They're looking at Christians to see if it's true. So here's what we need to think about. All right? This living quietly, minding your own affairs, working with your own hands is a way of life, right? It's a way of life. And the reason why I opened up with that neighborhood community type thing is because when you get in a good neighborhood, this is what you will find, right? 
This is what you will find. Every one of you can picture an example that you've seen before where you had a good neighbor, right? They took care of themselves. They were willing to take care of you. You were out of town, so they mowed their grass. Hey, you want me to bring the mail up for you? That's the type of thing neighbors do. I mean, neighbors that know nothing about God. Neighbors that never been to church a day in their life. Neighbors that sit on their porch and get drunk every night are great neighbors. They'll do anything for you. And that's not exactly what Paul's talking about. So what is he meaning? Here's what I mean. We are not to get in the way of the gospel message. And our highest priority, listen to me, is Jesus. He instructs the church to be this way. Live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your own hands, walk properly. He says that because we are so concerned with wanting to connect people to Jesus that we don't want to get in the way. So we've got two things to figure out. You do, we do, all of us do. Do you live verse 11 out? You're a good neighbor, you live quietly, you mind your own business, you work with your hands, you walk properly, okay? So that people don't look at you and think, man, they're a ridiculous Christian, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. No, they look at you and think, man, I I like them. In that case, you need to understand what is the purpose of, of all of this, and you need to start speaking up about Jesus. You need to make it known that it's Christ in your life, that it's Christ that has gifted you to be the way you are. It's Christ that has blessed you. You need to invite them to church. You need to share with them a Bible. You need to have a conversation about about their soul. That needs to happen. But then on the other hand, and this is sad to say, but there are a lot of Christians who've made it known that they're all about Jesus, and they've got their convictions, and they've got their devotion to God, and they love him, and yet they know nothing about this sort of life. And they don't live quietly, and they don't mind their own business, and they don't work with their hands, and they don't walk properly. They're a mess. And their testimony and witness to Christ is a mess as well. It's interesting for us to hear this. And I want to get you to think about that for a second. What do your neighbors think about Jesus? Are they thinking, listen, are they thinking, I don't want to be a Christian because of what I see in you. I doubt it. I mean, the correlation between coming to church on Sunday night and being a good neighbor is pretty strong. Pretty good connection, right? Y'all are good enough people to go to church on Sunday night. You're probably a pretty good neighbor. But would they say, I never even thought about Jesus. We've never even talked about it. And so that's what I'm saying. We have to get ourselves thinking about not just what do they think about us, but what are they thinking about Jesus on their way of thinking about us. That's why he says this. Let me show you. And we'll end with chapter two. Look at chapter two. He gives himself now as the example for what he's telling them to do. Look at chapter two. You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. All right, so a lot of drama there. A lot of drama around them. So we have to determine, or they have to determine, was it Paul's fault? Who's the honorable one here? Verse three, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity 
or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. He's talking about when they came to Thessalonica to just meet them. He says, we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Think about that. Would your neighbors say that about you? Do the people in Ecuador think that about our group when we come? We need to think about that. Are we gentle with those that are around us? Verse eight, so being affectionately desirous of you. Man, that's good. What a good neighbor. That's a quiet life when you affectionately desire people. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Now let me stop right there. Go back to how I began this message when I talked about growing up in a neighborhood where everybody loved everybody, right? Like the good old days where you could go into your house without even thinking and say, how you doing, Miss Sherry? You got any sweet tea to drink? Because that's how it is where I grew up, right? And we think that's sweet. But he's saying it was that way because they want, there's something way bigger. He wanted to share with them Jesus. That's why they are so concerned about the way they live and the way they relate and the way they connect to people. Let's keep going. Verse nine. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Look at that. Remember he told them to work with their own hands in chapter four? Well, here he's saying, we did. We worked all the time so that we would not be a burden to you. We proclaim to you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God, imagine. We are so wanting the people around us to know Jesus that we will work day and night wearing ourselves out so as to not put them out not put us out, and not hinder the witness to Christ. Verse 10, your witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. Look here. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul here describes his conduct, his care, his desirous affectionate heart for these people so that they would know Jesus. And he did not hold back from calling them to repent. And he did not hold back of calling them to believe in Jesus. 
But he makes a very real understanding that how you live is affecting the way they receive that message. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says this. Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. So in closing, each of us are either one of two things. We're pretty good neighbors. We're pretty loving. We're pretty good at 4.11. And we need to get Christ now in the middle of it. We need to step up what we're talking about. We need to let our neighbors know what's behind us being such a good neighbor. We need to let our neighbors know, uh, our friends know, or or the people that we know that this is really about Jesus, okay? Or we've ignored 411. We've never read it, not heard it. Our lives are pretty much a mess. We've not thought about being a, a better witness. We've not thought about Uh, how we are representing to the world around us Christ. We've not thought about why so many people that we think we're close to don't want anything to do with the Christ that we're about. And perhaps it's because we're not living quietly. We're not minding our own business. In both cases, we need to repent. We need to ask us to ask God to give us more quiet lives. We need to ask God to make us more about Jesus. We need to learn that the world is looking at how we are. People do not grow up into Christ without hearing about Christ, without knowing about Christ, without hearing the gospel, without believing. But make no mistake about it, upon hearing about Christ, they're filtering that message through what they see in the believers around them. It's true. And he says this here to the Thessalonians. May God grant our church the strength to live lives pleasing to God that are a faithful witness to those around us. This morning, it was pretty neat. There was a young man here that went years ago to Fairdale High School, friends of Cedric and Sidney. His whole family's Muslim. They're refugees that came here. Y'all didn't recognize them. Um, they, they moved here years ago. Great guy. Isaac knows him. Great guy. Moved here. and They're taking it all in. Have been for years. I've talked to his dad before. And he says, you know, we were Muslims when we were there. But we moved here and nobody's really Muslim here. So we're trying to decide what we're going to be. And they're just taking it all in. Nicest people you ever meet, been to our house, hung out with us before, uh, brought us some, they're from Albania, brought us some Albanian food. I I told his mom to not make the hot one because they love hot food. It was the hottest food I've ever eaten in my life. This morning he was here with his sister. He's already out of high school, he's already out of college, he's now a teacher. He's here this morning with his dad. And as soon as I saw him, I started thinking, And they're processing every single bit of this. They're good people. They may be believers now. I don't know. I'm not sure where where they're at. Uh, He talked to me for a while. It was good to see him. But here's what I mean. 
They are thinking deeply. You know that they are. They pop, they haven't been here in forever. They're not church members. They've never been baptized. They've never made a public commitment to Christ. But they're just taking it all in. They don't, they don't necessarily want to be Muslims anymore. What are they? Well, part of the huge influence is when they look at people they know, like Isaac, like Cedric, like Sidney, and they think, is it really the power of God that makes them that way? Or is it just the way they were raised? Is it really that the risen Christ who defeated the grave, is he really what's fueling them? Or can I be that way myself? That's what they're thinking. They have to be. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians that says, you better believe they are. So let's live our lives in such a way where it helps them look to what Christ really is instead of hinders them from coming to faith in Christ. That's a heavy thought, but we're ready for it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the salvation that we have in him. And thank you, God, for this good teaching from Paul about living simple, quiet lives. God, please do not allow First Baptist Fairdale to live and walk in such a way that the people around us are turned off. The gospel message is offensive enough. They're all sinners. May we be loving and may we do it more and more. God, help us to be a faithful witness to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.